Sales Tuners, Episode 36, Bob Perkins, founder of the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. There was a stigma back then that the, a field sales person was better. They should earn more money. They can sell better. They can sell more. They can deal with higher level executives. They can do more complex deals. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Tuner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from a Chinese proverb that says, those who say it can't be done should not interrupt those doing it. You've heard today's guest on the show for the last couple of weeks as we've been encouraging you to attend the AAISP Leadership Summit in Chicago. I took more notes during the full Wednesday track than I have in quite a while. Bob Perkins, the founder and chairman of the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals, joined me today to talk about his journey from seemingly being on an island as he led inside sales at companies like Unisys, Silicon Graphics, and Merrill. It was the lack of support for the profession that caused him to form the AAISP that is dedicated exclusively to advancing the profession of inside sales and making salespeople's lives better. Before we dive in this week, I've got a big favor to ask of you. Your ratings and reviews on iTunes are the single best way I've found to grow the audience for this show. If you've received value from anything you've heard on Sales Tuners from any of my guests, would you be willing to take 29 seconds and drop me a five-star review and short piece of feedback? I'd be extremely grateful for that. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 36. But now let's get to the conversation where Bob had the realization that while he loved teaching, crazy kids just weren't his ideal audience. Wow. So um, I thought I wanted to teach school. So I got a teaching degree and I taught school for about three or four years. And people said, well, how was it? I said it was it was kind of miserable. Um, I and I think because I taught junior high <laughs> and they kind of ran me out of Dodge. It was a tough group to, to handle. I still love teaching, but just not crazy kids. <laughs> uh, and um, there was a time that I, uh, I played uh, professional tennis. I had a uh, tennis uh, development program, which was very successful you know, I had some kids go on to get college scholarships at level, had had a amateur ranking at the time. And um, tennis, I knew, wasn't going to be a, a long career. It was fun, um, but it, it wasn't, you know, going to be a long-term career. And a lot of my friends said, boy, you're, you know, you're outgoing and so on and so forth. You'd be good at sales. So I tried, um, I started working at a, um, a computer retailer, which was called Tandy Computers, back when the, you know, I think we, the IBM was just coming out, Apple was just getting its start, and Tandy had its line of computers, and we, we sold mostly to businesses. And a company called Grid acquired us, and I, 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 I kept doing that. Um, but, you know, right before I, and that sort of got my start into technology sales, and then eventually into management. And I knew immediately I wanted to be a manager. 
I, I, without a, any doubt at all, I wanted to lead people. And um, it, it started a career first in, in managing say, uh, field salespeople, managing uh, some computer businesses. And then eventually it led to inside sales. And after a couple of years of managing inside sales teams, I fell head over heels uh, for inside sales. Um, now, I got to add something here, though. Before I got into technology sales, I... I actually failed at sales. Uh, I worked at a, um, a hotel, and I was a, a salesperson that was selling meetings and conferences to businesses. And I, I failed at it. In fact, I was let go because it, it it did it wasn't a good fit for me. And you know, it's kind of funny how I really did stay in the sales. Um, career, but I got quickly into leading others, and I I feel I found my niche. What was and, it, Bob, that, uh, um, I don't even know how to ask this question, but like, what was that moment that, what what caused you to think that you wanted to be in management as opposed to being like an, the individual rep? Well, you know, you, you might laugh when I tell you this, um, at this, this first uh, Tandy Computer Center, um, I saw everything that needed to get done. Right. So the manager went on vacation for a week and I went and I organized the product and I started getting some of our client lists together. I started doing all this work around organizing um, our business. And he came back and he's like, he was shocked. He goes, well, who did all this? And I go, well, I did. And I remember seeing a door and it had it had manager on the door. And. I said, I want to be in that office leading something. I just knew it. It was like a light bulb went off. And uh, it wasn't long before I got promoted to assistant manager there. And and then uh, a grid systems, a high-end computer laptop, bought Tandy, the computer part of Tandy. And uh, I was interviewed as the low man on the totem pole. I was interviewed and I was giving, given the re, uh, regional manager slot for that company because they they knew you know I wanted to lead and I'd be good at it. So uh, I guess you'd say it was a a manager nameplate on a door that got it all started. I like it. You wanted that corner office. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so you know it's it's funny that you you said that because one of the things I think it was Tom Snyder who said it from Funnel Clarity last week. He said, you know, a lot of times companies now are taking their top performing individual contributors and basically telling them they no longer get to do their job and they, they, they promote them, if you will. Uh, they don't give them any training on, on how to manage, but they expect them to coach. So how did you make that transformation to management, which then turned into coaching, which then turned into inside sales? Let me let me just make a comment on that. It almost never works. <laughs> okay. Right? And I'm going to tell you why. I'm not saying it never works. I hope it works because I have a, a son who was number one rep two years in a row, and he's thinking of getting into management. Um, so I, I hope it works sometimes. But the reason it doesn't work often is the number one rep typically is the number one rep for a reason. And they're very selfish in a good way. They're selfish with their own time. They're selfish on which accounts they, what they, you know, which accounts they spend time on, how they do their selling, and they are much less concerned about the welfare of people around them. And, you know, in a, in a good way, I'm saying, when they go into a management position, all of a sudden, 
it it has nothing to do with them. They they've gone from a from a quota carrying position that has everything to do with their themselves, their priorities, their, you know, their good selfishness, I'm saying in a good way. And it, it completely flips 180 degrees and that now has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with others. And that is a tough one, right? That's just what's made them successful in the past will, will allow them to fail in the future. Yeah, I, I've seen it so many different times. I mean, even, you know, one of my mentors, um, I, I won't mention his name on the podcast, but he's not that great of a sales leader, although he carries the title VP of sales. What that title now means for him is he's just the best salesperson at the company. And 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 he's the one who has to go in and close all the deals. There's no real management there. It's just him just being an individual contributor with a, a, a bigger title. So I've definitely seen that uh, myself. So Bob, you you started this this path toward inside sales, or you found inside sales inside the organizations. What were the early days and, and trials and tribulations like as you got started in that tech world? Oh man, there were there were many, and I kind of like that because I like a challenge, right? We the biggest some of the biggest challenges we faced was proving our value. Hmm. There was stigma. There was a stigma back then. And I even believed it, that the, a field sales person was better. They should earn more money. They can sell better. They can sell more. They can deal with higher level executives. They can do more complex deals. I mean, that was a reality, right? And I was determined to, to, to maybe not disprove that completely, because I want to tell you right now, I sit here today, the whole world has changed. Everything's changed about selling. Inside sales has prominence today. But I'll still sit here and tell you that I think, you know, if you're out there traveling and on a plane and a car and you're meeting face to face, you have a higher quota, you ought to get paid more. So I, I you know, I still today say field sales reps, as in general, in general, right, there's obviously exceptions, but, you know, in most places they deserve more money, right? So... Um, but you know, I was, you know, I was really hell bent on, on proving the value of inside sales in any way I could. And there were lots of things we did to do that. Um, and I think it was that, you know, that passion, that desire to do it, which served me very well in my career. Um, and it's like, so cool and fulfilling to see the place of prominence inside sales has today. I mean, it's like fulfilled a dream of mine, if you will. Yeah. I mean, today inside sales seems like it's just commonplace, right? Like every single tech company I can imagine, most of them only have an inside sales team. Uh, and then maybe as they mature, they might grab a couple of you know high performing field reps. Um, but, but so uh, what was that? Why, what, what caused that stigma? I, I get that you know, people had to go travel and actually meet customers face to face. But if, if inside sales was carrying a number and delivering on that number and probably doing more volume, I, I don't really understand the stigma. Well, you know, change is difficult, right? And, um, you, you, I want you to think about, think about it this way. I think this might shed some light on it. First of all, there's still some stigma today that exists. It's not as prevalent as it was yesterday but it still exists. But think about this. The sales leaders of yesterday grew up in field sales. 
right? That's all they knew, and they knew it well, and they thought, you know, putting people on the phone can't, they just, people on the phone aren't as qualified, they're more junior, and therefore, it's not as good as field sales. Well, what's happened today? You you go go look at a VP of sales today, and, and there's a good, there's a pretty good chance that that person did inside sales somewhere in their career. I mean, look at Mark Benioff, uh, you know, leader at uh, Salesforce.com. The reason they have such a powerful and, and prominent inside sales channel is because Mark, his first sales job was an Oracle inside sales rep. So he knew the power. So he's a leader. And, you know, because of it, uh, they're not they're they're viewed as uh, very important at, at, at his company. So I think we're seeing the shift in leadership. Um, and they they realize inside sales is not only as good at, but many times better at certain things than a field sales rep. I think, you know, now nowadays, I think field sales reps need to get caught up. They they need some training in this whole digital transformation. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is is the tools that we you and I take for granted. We're on Skype, right? We can turn on our cameras and see each other. Um, we're we're texting each other. Uh, we're we're delivering contracts to be signed virtually. Um, those are commonplace regardless of the industry, regardless of the sale complexity, um, regardless if you, you actually meet someone or not. So the, there's field reps today that aren't as well-equipped, let's say, to do pre-call research, right? You and I take pre-call research for, you know, uh, for granted. Uh, there's a way to do it. You use it to personalize a, a cold call. You use it to personalize an email. You have systems and tools that help you do that. Field reps haven't been exposed to the same level at, with these tools, technologies, procedures, techniques, all this stuff that we just do day in and day out. They haven't been exposed at the same level or necessarily been trained on some of these things. And, you know, there's a gap there. Uh, today, there's some research out there, I, I can't cite the, who did it, that says today a, a field sales rep is, is still doing something like 60 to 70% of their work at a desk, at their home, in an office. So they're almost inside sales, it's just they're not inside the office, they're inside their office. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. You know, we, it, it, in inside sales, we call that model a hybrid model. Uh, prominently, you know, predominantly inside doing business, but able to travel when needed as needed. Interesting. I, you know, I'm not a digital native by birth. I would say though, professionally, I'm a digital native because my professional career, I've only had the internet and email and all of that. But it's interesting how you laid out that, that path and how the Field sales is kind of needs to to catch up now. But talk to me about the, this digital transformation of the the job uh, of sales. What are what else are you seeing? What are we people still not uh, caught up on or, or or taking advantage of? Well, here's something I just i I saw just yesterday, and this is a really good example of this transformation. So I get introduced to a to a person uh, who wants to meet me, and I'd like to meet him, just see if we can collaborate together. 
uh, our you know association with his business. And I go, oh, thanks for the intro. You know, John, can you, uh, how's next week look? Can you give me a day or time? He goes, I'd love to meet you, Bob. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to copy Amy, uh, my assistant, and then Amy will uh, reach out to you to set up a time. So within 15 minutes, Amy uh, replies all and says, hey, Bob, glad to see you're going to uh, meet with Jim. And here's here's the time he has Monday. If Monday's not good, Tuesday he has these two times open. Let me know what's what your availability is. We'll get it scheduled. So I write back say, hey, Monday at 10 a.m. is great. She she's like, oh, thanks for the quick reply. Um, I, I, I'm going to send you an Outlook meeting invite in a few minutes. A couple minutes go by. I get my invite and I go. So uh, little did I know that Amy wasn't a person. I, I had a feeling I knew you were going with this. That I, this is incredible. Keep going. Yeah. So I'm like, are you kidding me? So you know, I I, I find out the service. I look in it in it, and I, I sign up for a trial. But that's just one small thing. Um, I can tell you right now that I, I, I know this for a fact. Five years ago, or even three years ago, um, I uh, less than that. Two years ago, I rarely used video. Uh, I might Skype with someone, you know, I might FaceTime my family, that kind of thing. Today, I will not, I do not schedule a meeting via a phone. I really, always, I always schedule a meeting with, uh, with a video uh, program. And now the other person that comes on, they have the option to turn their camera on or off. Mine is always on. It's never off. You know, unless I got to pick my nose or something, but, uh, or, or take a swig of water, you know. But and and so I'm going to tell you right now, nine out of ten of those meetings with people I've never said hello to, never shook their hand, never met, don't even know them. Nine out of ten come on with their camera on, and it's it is it has changed completely how we communicate. If, when I call someone on my phone today. I, it feels foreign and it feels like less than good communication to me. Now, I would guess, Bob, that the pe these people you're talking about that do come on with their cameras, th these got to be young people, the, the millennial generation. No, not, not so at really? all. All ages, every, every, every age category you could think of. Um, well, you might get someone that says, oh, wait a minute, I got to turn on my camera. I'm not sure how to do that. That happens once in a while. Sure. Or they might not have a camera. So they dial in, they dial in over the web, um, you know, but here's the good news, Jim. And this is so exciting for years. I've been preaching using video and just this past uh, year, we, we did our annual research. We do this research every year and we asked the question, how many use it um, either occasionally or often. And every year it was five years ago, literally it was 8%, 8%. It finally got up to almost 30. Well, this past year it came out to, and I'm doing this from memory, I think just under 50% use video occasionally or regularly. That's cool. That's like really good statistic for our profession. Is that in a business setting or in both business or personal? Business, business to business selling. That's amazing. Talk to me about the benefits of that, right? So I'm assuming there's some parlay back to the field sales days of truly meeting the customer face to face. But what are the benefits that you see from being on video with a prospect or that kind of deal? Well, 
a great question. And I don't know if you saw the gentleman named Leo Cardenas who spoke about body language. Leo, um, who is a body language expert, talked to us about what the mind does when they see, even see a picture of someone. So, you know, for example, before we met last time, I, I looked up your LinkedIn profile and you got a picture on your LinkedIn profile. Leo says that even by looking at a picture of someone, it helps you, it helps warm up your ability to effectively communicate. And then he says, if you happen to be face to face, which you are via video, it, it goes even further to help, uh, you know, you help read the person's, you know, body language to help see what they're looking at, if they're paying attention, all those things that go into effective face-to-face communication. I mean, you're, we're, we're crazy not to, I mean, we're just insane not to use it if it's available to use and the other party is willing to turn on their camera. Um, I've so. been I've been hesitant to to do this, Bob, but uh, I think with the stats that you just gave me, I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to start putting that camera on more often because I've thought about it, and and people have been telling me about it, but I've just been very hesitant about it. I like it. Um, one of the things you know, I, I I'm a sales trainer. That's what I do every single day, and it's funny because I tout these numbers regularly: fifty five, thirty eight, seven. What that means is in communication, fifty five percent of communication is body language. 55%. That's how people receive information. 38% of it is tonality, how you say what you, whatever it is that you say. And only 7% is the words that you actually say. So, you, you, I mean, these, these are numbers that I tout, uh, tout every single day, but I think you've convinced me I got to start turning that camera on so I can get a, that 55% back in my conversation. I'm going to use that I'm going to quote you on the, those percentages. I I'd never heard. I may have heard something like that before, but hey, if that isn't a if that isn't compelling enough for salespeople to start using video, what what is? And if you're a leader listening to this out there, get your reps get your reps going on video, live video. It, it will. I'll tell you right now, they're going to talk. They're going to say, oh, you know, my hair's not done right. Oh, I got to dress up. Oh, I don't have a good backdrop. Oh, this, oh that. Those don't, you know, don't take those excuses. Get them on live video, and I guarantee you, within a couple months, you're going to see benefits. All right, I'm convinced. I, I will do that. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna move us on. So, it's continuing though with this this whole digital transportation, I feel like there's a lot of tools that we use as salespeople now. But here's something that again, this came from the conference last week in Chicago. It seems like all these tools are moving toward analytics, and it seems like the reason for that is because, well, we're not going to get coaching from our managers. So we might as well try to see if we can get, let the algorithms tell us what we're doing right, wrong, et cetera. What, what's going on with that, that world? Well, a lot of nothing I think is going on because I, you know, I've, I've seen some, um, I've seen some tools. I, I try to get a lot of demos for new providers. I've seen some things, um, but I think we're I think we're at risk. You mentioned the term coaching. I think we're I think we're at risk of depersonalizing our 
our sales, right? I, I think we, we have to be really careful. Now, I talked a minute ago about this artificial intelligence of this meeting planner that I thought was so cool. So I'm probably going to use that tool. But, it, you know, we the at, at the end of the day, we can't rely solely on uh, analytics or data to predict or to help performance. And when you talk about coaching is, man, we have a big challenge to get back to old fashioned one-on-one person to person coaching and mentoring. Um, and I believe some of the two, all this tool, all the tools, the digital transformation is putting that at risk. In fact, when I talk about top challenges research, training and education has been in the top three areas of um, challenges that are leaders and reps. Reps have put it up in the top four for the past few years. Reps saying, help, I need development, help. They're crying out for this. And we still, you know, we still struggle with it, even with all the tools. So, you know, we're on a bit of a campaign at the association uh, to, to really to really find support mechanisms, to find things to help leaders, to help teams with training and development. We, we got a, a huge list of people that train. Um, they're great. They, you know, just like yourself, they come to our events and they meet people and they end up doing training for them. We've come a long way from the days of, you know, oh, I went through Dale Carnegie. I went through Miller Hyman, which is great stuff, by the way. Yep. I, I, I think it's wonderful training. But we now have finally started targeting true inside sales training. I want to give you one example of this, if I could, Jim. Go for it. I was talking to someone the other day and I said, Show me, and I took them to, we have three certifications, uh, the association. Our members look to us as kind of the setting the standard. So we have three certifications. One is for a manager. I said, I want you to look at, I want you, I want to share two, uh, two courses with you. One course was compensation plan design for inside sales leaders. I go, have you ever heard of a course that is compensation plan design for inside sales leaders? No. I, I haven't heard of that. So, and I, like I said, I st- that's what I do for a living. So I love right, it. Right. Right. So, but guess what? When you, when you become a director of VP, that's what you do. I did it. I learned it the hard way. I've designed hundreds of compensation plans. So I wrote, I actually wrote that course myself. And another one is, um, how about this one? A course that says selling the value of inside sales internally. I did that my entire career. Ever since Unisys, I had to sell up and I had to sell the importance of the role. I had to sell the ROI, the cost of sale, right? All that stuff I had to promote and, and sell up. And so I wrote a course on that. Now you can't find, so this is how far We've come with, you know, training uh, today's digital salesperson. We got some, in in that case, it would be a leader, not a salesperson. But even in, even in our CISP, we have 
you know, stuff on how to how to do effective pre-call research and and how to build personalization into an email. That kind of stuff didn't didn't exist five ten years ago. Did not exist. So you know, my my encouragement to especially people that lead teams is there's really good training out there. It's not you know, it, yes, the AISP has its own stuff, but there's lots of other people that are really good at selling, I'm sorry, at, at doing training for uh, for today's modern SDR, LDR, inside sales rep account manager. You know, I, I've been truly hypothesizing about this and trying to figure out why there isn't as much acceptance of help and acceptance of training and willingness to do training. But here's what I'm seeing, Bob, and, and uh, please push back if, if, if you think so. I feel like there has been an explosion of, of product companies, right? Software or SaaS companies. But with that has not come an explosion of sales talent. So there's a whole, all those great salespeople that were out there, they're now either VPs of sales at these companies or they're highly paid individual contributors at the same companies with, with golden handcuffs that they're not going to come to a startup. So the startups are now basically going and getting either new college grads or career changers who've never sold anything before, giving them two days of, of product training and saying, okay, go. Man, you hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head with what's happening. And I'm going to give you a little even more backstory to what you just said. I couldn't agree with you more. Here's what's happened. <clears throat> okay. You said the tool explosion. Boom. We got all this stuff out there. Two, secondly, we have the, the professions explosion, meaning, and here's a stat for you, between 2011 predicted to just two years from now, 2019, 2020, and that span of it's about eight years. It's pre it was predicted a few years ago that 750,000 additional inside salespeople would get jobs. So in our own research, when we, we asked the question just a couple months ago, how many of you are going to add headcount? 60% said, I'm growing. So if you think about the law of supply and demand, the demand is super, super high for talent today. It's off the charts for leaders, by the way. We got a problem both on the front line, finding frontline talent and leaders. And the, the supply, guess what? It's low, right? You just mentioned about going to colleges. Now, we, I'd love to talk a little bit about that in just a minute if we can, but here's the reality. And you said exactly uh, what I would say. And the reality is we're hiring young, um, less experienced people than we ever have in the history of this profession. And it's a big problem. And why, so why do you think, so what are the top three challenges this year? One, Number one was quality of leads. Two and three was hiring and recruiting because of the supply and demand issue. Number, I forget if it was two or three, but in those two slots was hiring and recruiting and training and development. Now we get, well, okay, we're going to go hire. Whoops, they're not, they're young, they're less experienced. They've never had a sales job. Now we got to train them. So we got work to do. 
<laughs> well, and it's funny because the 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 cost of a bad hire, and we're we're going off the rails. I'll bring us back, but the cost of a bad hire in sales is is a lot more than just the salary and benefits, right? There's all the time of of advertising it, recruiting it, interviewing it onboarding them, training them. But then you get the cost of, well, what is your lead cost? How many of your leads are you going to give to an inexperienced person? What's the opportunity cost of lost deals that they're now going to do? So the, the, the sheer cost of a bad sales hire could just be astronomical. And a lot of, you know, especially the early startups, they, they can't really afford that. So I, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, your organization exists and, and the trainers that are, uh, you know, fighting for this are out there as well. One of the things, uh, Bob, and again, I, I'm telling you, full of stats from from your event and, and great stuff. So Matt Millen, VP of Revenue at Outreach, he talked about two stats that just stuck out to me. And I didn't realize 50% of reps won't hit their quota this year and 65% of reps spend their day on non-selling activities. My mind was blown when I heard that. Is, is it true? Well, um, I, I remember hearing that as well. I'm not sure. Um, uh, I don't recall him citing the source for the research. I would, I would, you know, that doesn't shock me. Let me, let me just say that it doesn't shock me at all. And I just turned the clock back to the days. And it wasn't that long ago that I had teams. I managed teams, organizations, and um, there was a lot of non-selling stuff happening a lot. And there was a lot of weak selling performance, right? And, you know, this goes back to our little chat earlier about coaching, training, development, coaching, mentoring, you know, uh, performance management is a big piece of it. Um, and, and I think you said it too, you know, hiring the right person when the supply is low, the, when the demand is high and the supply is low, you're not going to get what you, you, it, you know, it's a, we're in a bad situation. We can't help but hire people that aren't going to work out it. I mean, that's, that's reality. I mean, you know, now we can talk about, we work with some great companies, you know, Coru being one, uh, they, they, they have a, we did research with them around predicting uh, performance. And we actually, we actually did serious research with them with some of our top member companies. And we came out with some, some things that you, that were counterintuitive. For example, if I asked you the question, Sorry, I know I'm going off a little tangent, but it's all related. So if I ask you this question, which which person do you think would have the best chance of being successful if you hired them as a sales rep? A person with a four-year degree in business or somebody that went to college for maybe two years and, and maybe, maybe ended up with an associate degree? Right. What do you what do you think the answer to that would be? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go from personal experience and say that person with with not the full degree that maybe had some college you, well, you you nailed it, right? Okay. No, a lot of people raise their hand. Ah, oh, you know, how many job as you see bachelor degree required? Oh yeah, this? yeah. So you know, so anyway, getting back to the hiring recruiting pieces, they, they've they've uncovered some pretty interesting uh, statistics and trends that I think might might help our member companies with their hiring. It, it's funny, Bob, that you brought that up because again, I was just saying that from my own experience. I've I've too often seen these college degrees honestly be worthless. And the, the kids who just have grit and drive and determination, it doesn't matter if they stayed for four years and got a degree or not. They're the ones who they have something to prove. 
right? And then they want to be successful. Bob, I got to take a quick break uh, to thank our sponsors. When I come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales Tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We're back and it's time for the money round. Bob, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? I think it has to do with uh, heart, right? Uh, Heart, passion, desire. Got it. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell your 22-year-old self to spend the next 30 days doing? Mm. <laughs> learn how to cold call and be good at prospecting. Amen. I love that. And you're the first person to say that. So I love it. Uh, Two part question here for you. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? Oh boy. Uh, I love to win. And why? Oh, it's, uh, it's a sense of accomplishment, right? It's a sense of being the best you can be. Got it. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Um, one by, um, I forget the author, but it's, uh, it's a book about Ernest Shackleton and how Ernest Shackleton led, it's a leadership book, how he led a group uh, to the uh, Antarctica and they got stranded, but he kept everyone alive. They all made it home uh, because of his leadership skills. Great book. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Bob's suggestion of South, the Endurance Expedition to Antarctica by Ernest Shackleton for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book, and there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. What's something that you believe, Bob, that nearly no one agrees with you on? When I am hiring someone, I'm hoping that they tell me they were fired from a job. And the reason being is that if they can explain why and what they learned from it, um, it can tell me a lot about that person and and how they developed and what they've been able to do and turn around in their career. Uh, You know, we talked about this earlier. I I think unless you've gone through a, 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 a tough situation like being let go, maybe it's not even... Maybe it wasn't even uh, um, your fault, or or there was due cause behind it. But you know, even if you were in a big layoff, right? And what did you, you know? How did you learn from that? And where did you go afterwards? That tells me a lot about a person. If somebody skates through life being promoted every time and making more money, I you know uh, I dig deeper because. Uh, you know, being accomplished and good and successful, you have to hit a bunch of valleys along the way. 
I think that goes back to the uh, college degree conversation we just had a few minutes ago. But what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Well, I mentioned this thing about prospecting. Um, Prospecting should be front and center in any sales role. I don't care if you're an account manager with a book of business. you still got to be prospecting. I hope it's not becoming a, a lost start. I know we we we're growing the lead development reps, sales development reps. That whole role is growing. That's all about prospecting. Um, but um, you know, it, it, it it's a bit of science and it's a bit of art. But you got to work it right. So if you're out there listening and you're a sales rep and you know you need to. You know, you got your, your funnel isn't quite there. Uh, Jim, you mentioned the, the fact that 50% won't make their quota. Well, guess what? Um, that's, you know, that that right there, I'll tell you right now, the reps that I've managed that have been under quota, almost always they were weak at prospecting. So learn those skills, practice them, schedule time in your outlook, and, you know, get on the phones, get on the email. You know, get on video, do what you got to do, but always, you know, ABP, always be prospecting. You know, I, I try not to add too much to the money round, but I got to on this one. I, it, to me, I say all reps are always prospecting. They're either prospecting for new leads or they're going to be prospecting for a new job. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Bob. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Yeah. Uh, my email is probably the best way. It's bob.perkins at aa-isp.org, O-R-G. Bob, this was fantastic. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Jim. It's great, great being with you. My conversation with Bob felt a little different than some of my other episodes, but I think it's because that through the AAISP, he's working with so many different organizations and doing a lot of original research that he's able to pull from so many different perspectives. I really enjoyed that. And I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, be selfish in a good way. Top sales reps are usually at the top for a reason. They're driven, focused, and selfish in a good way. They're also not that concerned with the welfare of those around them. They need that time and space to focus on their accounts, run their sales process the way they know it works, and are dedicated to improving themselves all along the way. Number two, embrace the digital transformation. The role technology plays in sales is not going away. You can easily schedule meetings with apps like Calendly or completely automate it with services like x.ai. You can streamline the workflow for creating proposals with apps like our sponsor Octave or simplify your outbound prospecting with great tools like SalesLoft. There's even a new product I recently demoed that brings better transparency and consistency to the discovery call process called Costello that you should check out. And number three, keep sales personal. It's time to contradict myself a bit. Even though I believe we have to embrace the digital transformation, understand we are at the risk of depersonalizing sales altogether. All the tools, data, and analytics should be leveraged when appropriate, but at the end of the day, people buy from people they like. Differentiate yourself from both the AI movement as well as the average salesperson by showing your personality. Flip on the switch for your webcam and ask your prospect to do the same. Write emails like a human being and truly participate in the social part of social media. That's it. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there!